Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and that thing almost killed me last service, so I'm just going to kick it back. So I almost did a flying header over it. Uh, so, hey, we're in a series, uh, Sermon on uh, Summer on the Mount, where we're going through the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been talking about the real high bar of just the Christian life and what that looks like. Um, but I, before we started, I just wanted to just kind of hear from you guys. Um, what are some of the external kind of things that you use or maybe other people use to identify people if they're good Christians? Anybody? Going to church. Going to church. Good Christians go to church, all right? Being patient. At least trying to be patient. Very good. Following Jesus, okay. Being generous, being kind. Actions, just their actions. Okay. Actions, anybody else? Not using foul language. You must hang out with different Christians than me. Oh, say, that's what people say. Okay. You ever hung out? Never mind. Man, I... Filtered that. I just saved that. Come after after me afterwards. I'll tell you personally. But uh, anything else? Read the Bible. Okay. So different kinds of things. Well, today uh, we're continuing on with uh, the third part of of basically Jesus's hypocrite thing, where. Again, hypocrite is a thespian or, or a word or a, a theatrical word to describe an actor. And the first week, Pastor Eric talked about just uh, the theatrics and acting uh, in giving and acting like you're a generous giver when you really aren't and you're looking for the accolades of the people around you. And then last week talked about uh, when you're acting like you have a, a, a big prayer life or a, or a deep prayer life or, a, uh, or you're spiritual. So he continues on today and he talks about being a hypocrite in fasting. Now, fasting isn't something that 21st century Christians do a lot of, at least in America. Uh, but essentially, uh, when in Jesus's day, especially the, the Pharisees, that this was a weekly practice. In fact, they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays, every Monday and every Thursday, and they would be hypocrites about it. They'd make a big show of it. They would uh, put ash on their face, and they would be disheveled and, and try to be sunken-cheeked. And, and, and so everyone would know how religious they were, how holy they were when they were uh, they were fasting on, on Monday and Tuesday. So that's what he's talking about. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we'll continue on in verse 16. He says, uh, Jesus continues and says, When you fast, don't make it obvious, as hypocrites do, as actors do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that it, that is the only reward that they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father sees everything and will reward you. 
Now, the 18th century uh, theologian and author, Alfred Plummer, talking about this uh, section between verse 1 and 18, basically the, the three hypocrites, this is what he says. He says, the light of a Christian character or Christian character will shine before men and win glory for God without artificial aid or public advertisement. Essentially, what Plummer is saying here is when we are authentically uh, in a relationship with Jesus, when we are relentlessly pursuing the, uh, the life that Christ has for us, that, that we don't have to promote that. We don't have to tell people because they will see it in our lives. They will see it in our actions. And in verse 16 and 18 here where uh, Jesus is talking about, once again, expanding this metaphor of, of being hypocrites or being actors, the Greek uh, is really interesting because the, the putting the ash on your face and, and, and combing your hair and, and all of that, that, that's actually what Jesus is trying to say is that's the equivalent of putting on your stage makeup and uh, taking on this character on the stage when you are trying to take this persona. And he's saying you may get the accolades of your audience. People may think you're righteous or holy or, or, or spiritual or something like that, but you are going to get your reward in full. That is your reward in full. And the reality is, is that God, God judges us, and maybe judge isn't such a good word, uh, assesses us um, based on searching our hearts and examining our inner attitudes and seeing our deeds. And there's a lot of confusion sometimes, you know, the, the whole idea of, of, you know, the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing and all of that kind of thing. And what really what I believe the, the Bible is teaching is when we go out and, and do things, it should be the, a difference. Are we doing it to bring glory to God or are we doing it to draw attention to ourselves? And when we do things to draw attention to ourselves, then we are only, that's the reward that we will reap in full. And this really goes on in just kind of this idea of, of fasting or being hypocrites and, and really comes to this larger question of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like? What what do we have to surrender, or is there anything we have to surrender? What, what kind of sacrifice, what kind of um, cost does it take? Now, the reality is, and I think all of us know this, of things of great value, you have to pay a price. That, that it costs. Uh, right now, uh, Red Eye Velo uh, Junior Cycling Team, we're, uh, next week we're going up to... Georgia, and we're going to be racing in Georgia Grand Prix. And the, the, the young men who, who are going to be going up there and racing have been sacrificing uh, of their time uh, to, to train hard so they'll be successful up there. That one of the training plans that, that I wrote for one of the kids, I called it 20 Days of Pain, right? And this is the cost. This is the cost that you, 
you're going to have to go through these, this 20 days of intense training in order to achieve something of value, of, of success, something that you want to achieve. That, you know, we do this with school, right? That, that we do our homework and study and we give up, you know, going out and being with our friends and things like that in order to achieve a grade or a degree so we can achieve a career that we hopefully will enjoy. We do that with our relationships. We do that with our friends and, and our family. You know, uh, sometimes we, we give up what we want. You know, that, that, hey, I really feel like going and have a hamburger and your, you know, loved one is a vegetarian and you give up delicious meat to go be with them, right? And so this is, this is not a foreign concept. We kind of understand this, that, that we, a lot of times we sacrifice today to have the things that we want tomorrow, or we sacrifice today uh, in order to experience something greater than that sacrifice. And the same is true in, in following Jesus. And he gets real close crystal clear on this in, in Luke chapter 14 in, in verse 25. He was starting to develop a rather large following at, at this point. People were digging Jesus. He loved his teachings. They, they loved the miracles and everything. And a large crowd was following Jesus. This is verse 25. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple... You must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, this is quite a dramatic moment. This is not how to, you know, these are not words to gain a big following. In fact, the, the, the English words, uh, he turned around, the Greek words is kaistrafias there. And it's actually, uh, ironically, a very dramatic move. The imagery, the word picture that's being played is like Jesus is walking along and Kai Stratus is like, boom, you know, and everybody's like, whoa. Like, it's not just like, oh yeah, by the way, remember Columbo? Columbo was the master of the, like, you know, you'd have the conversation and the person thinks he's an idiot and everything. He's like, oh, oh yeah, by the way, you, you remember that? Like, he was just very, very subtle. That's not this. Jesus is just walking along, and it's a very abrupt, dramatic, hey, you know what? If you want to be my disciple, you have to, by comparison, hate. When you look at how much you love your spouse, when you look at how much you love your kids, when you look how much... You love your brothers and sisters and, and your friends and your family and the things that, that, by comparison, your love for Christ looks like hate. And that's a dramatic statement. It, it's a hard statement. And in the 20, in, in 20th, or really the, the history of America, you know, we've really never had to pay a cost for our faith. Uh, I really don't know anyone who's had to really pay a significant cost for being a, a follower of Christ in, in America. 
and uh, except probably my, one person that comes to mind is my mom. Uh, my mom is, is from England, and uh, her whole family is, is Jewish. And when she came to the United States uh, to be a nanny, uh, she was introduced uh, to Jesus. She didn't know who Jesus was, she, uh, and, and she decided to become a follower of this Jesus who... Uh, there was a uh, basically a person who was able to speak into her life and, and explain to her that Jesus, Yeshua, was the foretold Messiah. So when uh, she fell in love with my father and they got married and, and or were going to get married, she uh, called or wrote my, my grandma and grandpa in, in Europe. And my grandfather told her, you have to choose. You have to choose between Jesus or your family because you can't have both. And my mom wrote back and said, I choose Jesus. And at that point, at a very painful part, in part time in my mother's life, that uh, my grandfather pronounced her dead to the family. And they were going to go on and did go on as if she was dead. And this was obviously horrific for, for, for my, my mom. And as my mom tells it, I wasn't around, so I just by stories, uh, that she would constantly write to her parents and they would never respond to her. She would write and tell them what was going on, that she loved them, that she'd love to see them, and never got a response back. Well, uh, eventually, uh, she got pregnant with my brother, Russ, and uh, she wrote him a letter thinking, wow, you know, maybe, maybe this will be something just like, hey, you know, mom and dad, I'm, you know, pregnant, I'm blah, blah, and all exciting, and she sends it, nothing. And so the next, you know, nine months goes, she's writing and writing. Finally, uh, Russ, my brother, was born, and, and uh, I would imagine she took a picture of him and wrote a, wrote a letter and, and, and sent it, and my grandfather called her and said, we would like to come and see Russ. Now, knowing Russ now, I have no earthly idea why, but... Uh, <laughs> That's just how much I love Jesus, right? By comparison, no. I love my brother. He's, he's great. But, uh, so they came, and that, uh, that birth was able to uh, bring a little bit of healing, and then eventually my, my grandparents became uh, uh, part, or we became part of our family again. It was united. In fact, it was funny. Was I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, remember, used to be able to go and meet people at the gate and everything, and we would go and we'd wait, and, and I would watch my parents would be, that's the plane coming down. I used to call them my grandma and grandpa from the sky. And it was funny, my mom tells me, like, I, as a little kid, I talk about my grandma and grandpa in the sky, and people, everybody thought they were dead. <laughs> so, no, they just, you know, they just flew down and, and, and came in like, like that. And I, you know, that was a, 
that was a really hard lesson or, or time in my mother where, where she, she was confronted with, with the choice of, of who do you love more? Who, what price are you willing to pay? And she was willing to, to, to pay that price of, of her, her family, all of them, uh, uh, to follow Jesus. And one thing that I, I believe, and this is just a personal belief, that I believe it's going to become harder and harder and harder to be a follower of Christ in America. I believe that even though we, up until this point, really have never had to pay a real price, I believe those days, days are coming. I, I hope, hopefully I'm wrong, but I think that there's going to be a time where we are going to be faced with, the cho- with a cost, a real cost of discipleship, a real cost of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it could cost our family relationships. It could cost our friendships. It could cost our reputation. It may even cost us our careers. And one thing that I, I believe is knowing the cost up front is way better than being surprised by it. Like, don't you hate it when you take your car in for an oil change and you're thinking 40 bucks, right? And they always come in like, oh no, you know, you need this and that, and your windshield wiper fluid is empty and that'll be $500 and you know, you're... <laughs> your flux capacitor isn't working properly and then all this kind of stuff. And you're like, man, I thought I was in for 40 bucks and, you know, now we're at, you know, $1,200 or something like that. That's hard, right? It's shocking because you don't, you haven't really thought about the cost uh, or you thought it was going to be something and it was something great, much more. You know, there's other times where, you know, you're going in and you're like, man, I know the cost is going to be great and you're willing to pay that price, and it's a totally different thing. Like if I was going in and buying like a brand new bicycle or something, like Trek just came out with a brand new Madone, and I'm not buying one, by the way, but, but if, like I'd go in and I'm like, the cost is, you know, whatever thousand dollars. Well, I'm expect, you know, I was expecting that, and that's awesome. You know, it's like it would be different if I was thinking huffy and had to pay a Trek Madone price, and this, this idea. So, so going in and understanding the cost and the cost of discipleship. Jesus talks about this in two other places in Matthew of just kind of the understanding of, of our dedication to him and him alone. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But really, you cannot both serve God and family in the sense of, of putting family before, before God or your work or any of these things. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son and daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. And this is hard teaching. Like, I read these words and I cringe because I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my family. And 
knowing that, wow, will I ever have to pay that price? You know, I love my friends, and there's people that I love, I love dearly, and will, will I ever have to pay the price of uh, discipleship and, and lose, lose them? And this, in a really sense, is, is, you know, you may or may not ever have to pay that price, but to understand that you may have to and to make that decision before it comes to you is paramount. Now, this is one thing that I wholeheartedly believe. I believe that fully devoted followers of Christ, people that give themselves completely over to the teachings of Jesus and follow Him relentlessly, will be better husbands or wives fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, better employees. I believe that we will love our neighbors better, that I think that we will treat others uh, uh, better. But ultimately, it comes down to that we are doing that to bring glory to God versus glory to ourselves. The next part after he talks about this cost is he goes in verse 27, he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now again, this is a hard thing. The cross in the first century symbolized what? Death, torture. We know in the 21st century that, that crucifixion was the most brutal way to die that, that humanity has ever devised. That it is a horrific thing. And I think a lot of times with our, you know, golden crosses and things like that, I'm not against that, but like a lot of times we forget what that symbol really symbolizes, right? <laughs> that uh, that it, it, it symbolizes picking up your cross daily, which, which was an instrument of the Roman Empire of, of intimidation and, and torture and terror. And, and it's a horrific thing. And what Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to, to pick up this, this symbol of torture and death for, my, for me, you're not will, will it, are worthy to be my disciple. Again, tough, tough imagery. He doesn't stop there. He, then he goes on two more. He, in verse 28, he says this. He's uh, talking about buildings. He says, don't, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would build or begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might uh, complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, hey, there's the person who started the building but couldn't afford to finish it. I like it when Jesus says stuff like that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the process of, of, of doing some uh, improvements around here, uh, trying to to make this space uh, work better for us and our, our vision for, for our church. So when I was reading this, all I could think about is building permits and, and the budgets and the cost projections and the timelines, which have all been a huge headache. Uh, and, and by the way, we just got fully permitted, so we're going to be breaking ground soon. So yes, you can applaud about that. So uh, we have a team here 
of, of people in our church, you've worked very, very hard to make that, make that happen and make this a reality. So I'm really excited about it. But I was thinking about that. And as big as a pain it's been kind of budgeting for this project and making sure that we have enough money and, and, and raising money and, and getting the right permits and everything, way better than just like, one Sunday just saying, hey, let's go do some improvements out there. Grab a hammer and some wood and we'll just make it somehow. And, and then realize we didn't have this or that and everything. And uh, people would literally walk, drive by and go like, idiots. Like, what were they thinking, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. is like, look, you wouldn't, you wouldn't begin a construction process, uh, project without understanding what the cost of it is what the process of it's going to be, what it, what's it going to require, and how long is it going to take. And he's saying, look, just like that, you should count the costs of following me, what it will take, what will be the commitment, you know, who will be involved in all of these kinds of things. And then finally, he uses the last metaphor in this section, uh, and, and it's a war metaphor, in verse 31, he says, Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with, uh, with his counselors to discuss whether his army of his 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss peace, uh, terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Starting to get a theme here. Yeah, Jesus is trying to communicate what? Sacrifice, surrender of, of understanding the cost of, of discipleship. And this metaphor that, that he's using, you know, the, the ten, you have 10,000 soldiers and the army that's coming to attack you has, has 20,000 and assessing, do, do we have the tools to be victorious? And if we don't, you know, how, how do we preserve? And fortunately, in a lot of Paul's, writing and, Paul's writings in the New Testament, he tells us how to run the race to win and how to be victorious against insurmountable odds. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, look, the cost of discipleship can be very, very high. And this is why I believe that a lot of people, they're down with salvation, but they're not too excited about discipleship. Because salvation, the free gift of salvation, but discipleship costs. It costs you to say, you know what, Jesus, you're more important than my mom or my dad or my husband or my wife or my kids or my job or my career or, or whatever, that I choose you. If, if it comes down to it, if hopefully none of us will ever have be faced with this choice, but if it comes down to it, I choose you. And I choose you in how I spend my time and my, my resources. I choose you as I move forward. That, that I am willing to pay this cost and I, and I go into it wide-eyed because I believe that you are the way to a rich and abundant 
life. And all of these other things are lies. Practically speaking, and I'm just going to try to be clear, I believe that we are moving into a time in American culture where being a Christian is going to cost. And I believe it's part of the church's responsibility to equip and to alert. And one thing that, that I really want to challenge you guys to do, maybe personally or, or maybe in your growth groups, is to really talk about, about this. What, what price are you willing to pay? What are the things... Uh, how important is Jesus to you? How important is your faith to you? When it comes down to it, you know, would you allow separation in your family over it? Would you allow uh, to lose friends over Jesus? Would you be willing to lose your reputation or, or your career because you're trying to live out the, the rich and abundant life, the, the, the love um, that, that Jesus has instructed us to live. And ultimately, just like going to the auto repair guy, I think we'll all be a lot better off if we know and think through the price ahead of time than be struck with it unbeknownst. You guys pray with me? 